The Cultured Meat Symposium is back in San Francisco on October 28th and 29th, 2022. This year, the theme of the event is creativity and commerce. Learn more and register at www.cms2022.com. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. On this episode, we're excited to have Yonatan Golan of Brevel. We learn about microalgae and the various applications and what it takes to start a company with your brothers. We dive deep into the challenges of next generation food technologies and the importance of working in the alternative protein industry. I had a great conversation with Yonatan. Let's jump right in. Thanks for joining us on the Cultured Meat and Future Food Show. Uh, we're excited to have Yonatan from Bravel on this call. Yonatan, welcome to the show. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me here. It's a real pleasure. So, Yonatan, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, so, I'm, I'm Yonatan. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bravel. I was born in Jerusalem, Israel, and actually I live now in a small town just outside of Jerusalem. I have three small children. Um, I've been I've been vegan for the past decade or so. My three small, small children are also uh, vegan, and my, my academic background is in physics. So I have a master's degree in physics, and actually my thesis was in biophysics. So biology is also close to my heart. And um, I'm I'm the middle of of three brothers. The three of us co-founded Bravel uh, some years ago, really on the focus of of addressing global challenges relating to, to food, to sustainability, and to basically, I mean, my, my, my angle was from the vegan perspective, both uh, ethic, ethically and sustainably. Very cool. So your co-founders are your brothers. Right. My older brother, he's a, he's a doctor, and my younger brother, he's a, a mechanical engineer. And actually, he's the one who came with the idea. So he's like this genius mechanical engineer. He worked as chief engineer in one of the leading microalgae companies in Israel, and understood that there's this huge opportunity here in the microalgae space, and that if only we change the way microalgae are, are produced or grown, we can possibly solve really big challenges. And so he decided to quit a job there, and we founded the company together in the purpose of really dramatically changing the way we grow macroalgae and making it for the first time uh, also at a, a much higher quality for the food industry, but also cost-effective enough to become uh, a solution for the food industry, not, not only as a niche product where macroalgae is mostly today, but really to address the mainstream food industry and provide solutions for the average consumer of plant-based alternatives. Wow, very cool. Can you tell me and the audience a little bit about what microalgae is? And, and if you could give a, a very simplified answer just to kind of be a starting point, that would be awesome. Basically, microalgae are just macroscopic plants, if you will. And I know that some, some uh, biologists are now banging their heads maybe, but for the average person, microalgae are microscopic plants, uh, which I mean, they're the size of bacteria, basically. And they're, they're actually the first things that did photosynthesis on this planet two billion years ago. Um, they're the first organism that managed to use external energy, use sunlight to grow here on, on Earth. And so they basically, microalgae need sunlight 
and CO2, and they can just thrive anywhere on this planet, from the oceans to lakes to rivers to to the Arctic sphere and to in, in deserts even. They only need a bit of humidity, and they grow exponentially fast. I mean, they duplicate. They're not like plants, but they they multiply uh, exponentially. They can double in in quantity every every day or sometimes several times a day, similar to how bacteria or, or yeast grow exponentially fast. And they need, and they need very little, little resources. And the, the interesting part for the food industry that is that they're just packed with protein. Typically, around 50, even 60% of microalgae is, is protein. So they're this amazing source of protein, much more sustainable than any other protein source out there. And yet, we still don't use them as, as a main ingredient in our food industry. And this is just because today, unfortunately, uh, the flavor of most ways you grow microalgae is not good enough. I mean, they have typically microalgae are this green, very ocean-like uh, flavor. And the costs are, are just too high to be relevant for the food industry. And so they, they remain as a niche product for athletes, for health geeks, or for, for like uh, health supplements. Uh, so some people know, for example, uh, spirulina. Which is, a, which is one kind of microalgae. In nature, there are estimated to be about half a million different strains. Only about only several thousand are known to the, are known in the literature. But I mean, there is a huge abundance of different strains out there, and only only a handful are used today commercially. So spirulina is one of them. Chlorella, maybe some people are familiar with it as well. But you can find them in health shops as this like superfood. It's usually super expensive uh, source of protein or B12 or other uh, vitamins or health ingredients. So it's interesting to hear about different types of microalgae that are already on, on store shelves, for example. You mentioned spirulina. But which direction does your company aim to go? Are you looking to create an ingredient or some sort of CPG product where you market directly to consumers? Right. So actually in Brevel, we managed for the first time to develop a technology which also solves the challenges of flavor and color of microalgae. So what we have is actually microalgae which are very neutral, uh, which are basically white or yellowish, and with a very mild uh, flavor, which is nothing similar to what you typically expect from microalgae, which can be added to any food application out there. And so what we decided to do is not, not develop a consumer product, but actually provide this solution to all of the different uh, food companies out there that are now really searching for a protein source to improve the quality and nutritional value of their products. If we were only did our own, say, burger or plant-based cheese, that would be great. That would limit our impact on really solving global challenges of nutrition and sustainability by providing the solution to all Food companies out there, to all of the Nestle's and Unilever's and Kraft Heinz's of the world, we can really provide a solution which is really, really uh, sustainable, uh, very nutritious, and can blend into any product out there. And at the, at the moment, we're actually we're receiving requests from companies all across the board that are looking to to add protein to plant-based dairy alternatives, to plant-based milk, uh, to plant-based uh, meat products to cell culture 
applications which are looking for hybrid protein sources to soft drinks and anything out there. And there's such a big need in, in additional sources of protein that can solve challenges that soy and pea, which are the main protein sources today, simply cannot solve because of their strong flavors, uh, allergenic issues, and sustainability eventually. Um, so we are aiming to become the number one choice of protein for the food industry by addressing the needs of any different application out there. And the, the need for protein is just growing exponentially. I mean, the, the estimate today is that uh, there will be a need for about 100 million tons of protein in the next decade. And this is something that the existing protein sources simply cannot address. I mean, there's a limit to how much soy you can grow in the Amazon forest. And there's a limit to how much land you can use to grow protein. And there is a necessity for these new protein sources, whether if it's uh, fungi, yeast, bacteria, or microalgae. And eventually this is the future of food. And microalgae are yet a few steps ahead of all of these other excellent solutions in terms of sustainability, not only in terms of land, but in terms of water usage, in terms of CO2 emissions, in terms of, of uh, needs for, for ingredients and pesticides and, and fertilizers, microalgae are just completely off the charts compared to any other source. And again, the reason they're not used today is that their cost is not uh, relevant for the food industry. And today, uh, most microalgae have a too strong of a flavor which is exactly what we can solve. Yeah, I guess when we think of algae or you know, even the other microalgae examples you mentioned, you do think of something green that has quite a strong flavor and, and maybe even, you know, <laughs> I've, I've had some sort of like algae chocolate bar and then I think my teeth turned green afterwards, right? <laughs> but if you could create something that is neutral in taste or and especially neutral in color, I think like you mentioned, there's a huge amount of, of applications that I could think of. How does the protein in this type of microalgae compare against animal-based proteins? And I know you mentioned pea protein and soy protein, but from a nutritional standpoint, how does it compare against animal proteins? Right. So first I say about the sensory properties, which you mentioned, we actually have an amazing experience with a food technologists we work with in different CPG companies. We send them, some, oftentimes we meet them when we provide them with the first samples. And it's always exciting to see that first they, we provide them with a, with a powder. Basically, the, our product is, is a powder, very rich with protein. And they look at it and they say, well, I was, I was actually expecting something green. And yeah, this is, this is either a yellow or a white, which is a first surprise for them. And then they, they open the package, they smell it. And they're like surprised. They say, well, this is strange. It doesn't have any smell at all. And then they taste it and they're really blown away. They say, well, this is nothing like, like any protein I tasted before. And these are people that are used to taste pea protein or soy protein. And you're very used to very strong uh, off notes and distinct flavors. And suddenly they, they taste something which is actually slightly tasty, which is a very, I mean, having, having a protein source, which is not uh, disgusting, is already a very high bar to clear. And having something that is tasty is just amazing from their perspective. And so 
we can really address this problem of how to increase nutritional value of applications without disrupting flavor, without disrupting texture, without changing color, and eventually without changing cost for the end consumers. Compared to existing protein sources, first of all, microalgae protein is a full amino acid protein, which means uh, all of the essential amino acids or there, all, all of the essential uh, building blocks of protein are present, uh, as well as all of the other uh, amino acids. And the, the availability, the bioavailability of, of how much your body can digest the, the protein is, is very high compared to plant-based sources and very similar to meat, to, to, read, to, to protein from, from animal sources. And especially microalgae protein is non-allergenic, which is a big issue for food companies. I mean, they can add it without, I mean, soy, for example, this is one of the challenges with soy, that it, it does cause allergies for a percentage of the population, as well as pea. And this is a big concern for companies. Companies are now looking for sources that they can use for the whole population, not only for a part of it. So this is also a big deal with microalgae protein. So you founded the company with your brothers. You have this very amazing, not only super food, but also super protein. When did you start the company and what was that process like? So the company was founded about five years ago. And actually, a lot of the time was dedicated to solving the technological problem. So uh, years of blood and sweat of our engineers, uh, first my brother and then additional engineers who joined the, the team, went into developing this completely new way of producing microalgae, which no one else has been able to do before. In a nutshell, what we do is, for the first time, we combine fermentation, I mean, using sugar to grow the microalgae and having light in the process, in, in a single stage process. So this means we get the very high yields and low cost that growing with sugar provide. Very similar to how yeast grow or for that sense also cultured meat. I mean, in cultured meat, you also add sugar to the process. So, that, so they multiply very fast and this can be done with microalgae as well. But we also have light in the process. And this is something that no other company has been able to do. And having light alongside fermentation, so again, it enables the high yields and low costs, but also the abundance of co-products that are produced in the microalgae, which are only produced in the presence of light. So this means we can produce much higher commercial value from the microalgae we produce. And through that, get to cost parity with pea and soy protein, which is the, the holy grave of alternative protein. This is true for any alternative protein source. For any new source to get to cost parity with pea and soy, the only way you can do that is if you do exactly what pea and soy do. I mean, for, from a soybean, you not only produce protein. If that would be the case, then, pro, then soy protein would be very expensive, not the two to three dollars per kilogram, which, is it, which it is today would be in the tens of, of dollars per kilogram. But you also extract and commercialize the oil from the soybean and the fibers and the gluten and, and every other fraction. And then also you sell the protein as a co-product. And this is exactly what we managed to do with our technology. And this, this, this opens the path for not being only another uh, niche alternative protein provider, but really address the mainstream global 
food industry with a solution that can be scaled to meet the, the true demands of the food industry. I mean, we're talking about being able to provide uh, tens of, of, of millions of tons annually, not just thousands of tons or tens of thousands, and really provide the solution for the next wave of alternative protein to replace the existing ones, which are uh, not sustainable enough. I mean, soy is a great source of protein, but we have to find solutions to replace soy as well. I mean, of course, we have to find solutions to replace animals from our food industry, but then also we have to find solutions that can also replace pea and soy and chickpea and all of these other sources if we really want to make a change in the food industry. And maybe this a comparison I often use is the, is the automotive industry. I mean, improving the internal, the internal combustion engine uh, is important and should, should be done. And companies have been doing it for a while. They've done hybrid cores and they improve the engines, reduce emissions, and this is great. And this is like improving the concentration of protein in, in, in pea or chickpea, improving the processing, improving the quality. None of this is excellent work and should be done. But until we go fully electric, there is no chance that the trans transportation industry will be remotely sustainable. And this is exactly the change that is happening now. And not only us, I'm really, really happy to see all of these other companies in this space really working very hard for it and finding solutions on how to replace the existing sources of protein, if it's from fungi or yeast or whatnot, in much more sophisticated, advanced technologies that are very land efficient, resource efficient, and can reach cost parity. And this is exactly what we're doing with microalgae. Very cool. And so the company has raised around $9 million uh, as the, one of the latest announcements. Is that correct? Yeah, almost. Yeah, we raised uh, 8.4 in both equity financing and several uh, government grants from the European, the European Union and the Israeli government who support us as well. Very cool. And I guess in the early days when you were just starting the research and the development process, how was it getting a lab space or you know some sort of space in Israel? <laughs> so actually, our facility, it's worth visiting while we're still there. We're, we're going to move very soon to our, our new commercial pilot facility, which is in a, in a big industrial area in the south of Israel. But currently, we're located in the middle of an agricultural area with uh, greenhouses. And when it, it's I think it's like it's like a scene from Breaking Bad. Basically, you come to the desert, to the southern of Israel, to the desert, and you drive on dirt roads between between green, greenhouses, and then you get to this place which looks a bit strange. There's a there's a huge hangar we built there, and then you step in and you see these large very sophisticated fermenters and very advanced machinery. And then you go still deeper and there we have a clean room, I mean, a very high quality clean room in the middle of this place, which is nothing what you would expect in such in, uh, in the middle of uh, farmland. So we, we actually, from the start, 
we didn't uh, rent lab space. We immediately went to this location because we understood that very quickly we will need space to bring in the, the large machines, the, the, the large fermenters. We, at the beginning, we, we welded and built, built our own fermenters. That's how we started. And we actually still have them in the, in the, in the backyard. And basically, we have a, I mean, the small factory in the middle of farmland. Uh, but as I said, we're now moving to a much larger commercial pilot facility, which will really be able to address the volumes needed for commercial operations. I'm laughing a little bit because at, at first I, I wasn't sure what you meant by the Breaking Bad reference, other than kind of being in the desert or, you know, in the middle of nowhere or something. But after you said clean room, it, it totally made sense. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's funny, but that actually, you know, not only does it make a lot of sense, but I think you mentioned one of your brothers and co-founders is a mechanical engineer. And he's, you know, he's probably designing a lot of the actual equipment and, and just knowing that you guys are out there kind of welding stuff together is actually very cool, very kind of true to this type of startup environment. Yeah, when, when, when people come to visit, we have to tell them not, not to come with high heels and not to come with fancy clothes because <laughs> this isn't the, the, the typical Bay Area startup environment. I mean, it's a very down-to-earth, li literally, environment that we work in. It's, a, it's an agriculture company, right? It's a food company. So, right. <laughs> so you guys are moving into a new space. You were able to raise startup funding from VCs, uh, but also from government grants. And it seems like the ecosystem has been, has been pretty good. How big is the team now? So we currently have 21 employees. We're just bringing in another food technologist and another mechanical engineer. And we're increasing the business side as well these days. We are planning to be around 30 people, between 30 and 40 in the next year to further expand the, the company and really double down on the opportunity we have ahead of us. So we're now signing the first offtake agreements. We're signing the first MOUs with, uh, with partners for the next stage of much larger scale manufacturing facilities. Um, and or want to expand our ability to address the, the re requests from all of these different companies out there that are reaching out looking for, for protein for their product. From a business standpoint, not so much like an R&D standpoint, but from like a, a business standpoint, growth standpoint, uh, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you have had to face so far? So I think that the two biggest challenges one of them is, is common for alternative protein in general, which is that for, for any new alternative protein source, the gap uh, between is the starting point and where we have to get to is just enormous. I mean, we, we are always compared to pea and soy in terms of, of cost. And pea and soy have had many decades to get to the price points they operate in now. And if we cannot overnight prove that we can reach cost parity, it's really difficult to convince customers, investors, partners to work, to work with us. And th this is also the case, for example, with cultured meat. I mean, cultured meat companies have to really convince that cost parity with, with real meat is a possibility. And of course, it, it will take another decade, but if they cannot convincingly 
argue that this is a possibility. They're, they will be struggling to move forward. And this is true for alternative protein sources as well. And this is a big challenge. I mean, the challenge to reach selling price and be profitable at uh, 2 to $3 per kilogram is a very challenging barrier for any company, especially for, and not especially, but also from, from uh, microalgae. And then the other challenge is specific for microalgae in that, unfortunately, microalgae is a space that is known for mostly disappointments. And I think this is mostly related to the, to the enormous potential that microalgae has. And because of this huge potential, enormous amounts of funding have been poured into this space over many decades now. But no one has been able to solve the, the big challenges of, of cost and quality and scalability and really answer to these huge potential opportunities. And so many investors and many companies have, have just had enough of microalgae. They don't, they don't want to hear about it. I think billions have been poured into the promise of microalgae being the new source of biodiesel, of, of biofuel, with very little success on that. And now there, there's a new wave of a promise for microalgae solving our food challenges, but many people have, have seen this, these promises in the, in the past and have grown tired of it. And so our challenge is to not only convince that this is a true solution, but I mean, the investors we talk with have heard numerous times that yes, this, is, this time this is a true solution. And we have to convince that we are really different, not only say that we're different, but really be very co uh, convincing in this, in this message and really demonstrate that we have something different. And then another challenge, and this is, this is maybe the, the, the third challenge of this space, is that this is a capital intensive venture. I mean, we have to build factories to start producing revenue. So currently we have a facility which we built with large fermenters, very advanced equipment, and we cannot sell from it because we cannot reach volumes that are relevant. Now we're building the first commercial pilot facility and we had to raise our recent round for it without having any revenues. And we're now raising another round and we still don't have revenues. So we're now signing first offtake agreements and first LOIs and MOUs and other things, but compared to software companies or service companies who can start making profits from their living room with a laptop, we are building something that needs hardware. It needs large hardware, needs to be built and operated and then start producing. And eventually what we sell is, is powder, is large bags of powder that go out, out of the factory. And many investors of the past, and this is actually something that, it, that is changing uh, dramatically in the past years, but many investors of the past have this paradigm that if you're raising a series A, you have to have revenues above a million dollars. And if you're raising a series B, you have to show revenues or agreements of tens of millions. And I mean, companies today, and, and uh, very fortunately, this has been changing. I mean, companies today that do cultured meat are raising hundreds of millions of dollars without bringing in a single penny in, in revenues. And so 
this is changing, but initially, I mean, five years ago when we just started, this wasn't an option. I mean, talking about a manufacturing facility was taboo. I mean, this was not something startups did. It was not something investors wanted to put their money in. And still it is challenging, but we do see this changing. There are now futic investors and other dedicated investors that are not looking for the next delivery app. That was Futek originally, but are really investing in companies that are doing B2B, large manufacturing facility kind of businesses. So the, the, there is a shift, but it still is challenging to, to raise capital and work in such an, an environment. You definitely make a good point that, you know, at the end of the day, really the food industry, right, and everything that we're doing here in the alternative protein industry is to be able to produce large amounts of something that we're, you know, we're hoping to sell low cost. So you're going to need extremely large amounts. And I think the thing that we see is, and a lot of the investors in the space see, is that we are getting to a point where we're going to need just a lot more suitable protein sources. And yeah, sometimes it, it does sound like it's a little bit of a crazy thing to actually build such a big an industrial system before you even get that first dollar. But I think, you know, everything that we are starting to see around us in terms of population growth and lack of protein or the need for new protein sources, it all adds up. This has been really interesting. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot about microalgae, and I think there's probably an entire other show I could ask you about how it is to run a startup in Israel, which sounds really interesting and exciting. But I want to wrap up and really just ask you if you have any insights for our listeners, you know, those that might be interested in starting a company. Do you have any words of advice for them? Or maybe those that are interested in alternative protein and, and might be uh, looking to get a career in alternative protein, any advice for them? So first I'd say, if you're interested in starting a startup, just do it. Just jump into the water as early as you can. This is, it's an amazing journey in every aspect. It's not that easy at all. I mean, there is the, the roller coaster is, is, a, is a real thing in the startup space and especially in this space as well. I, as a founder, I have my ups and downs on, daily, on a daily basis. Also, this, I mean, the, the, the time of recording now is a challenging time in the, in the startup world. And we have a true solution and we're really trying to bring it out. And it's all uphill battles. But I think that if you really have a good solution and want to do a real tangible impact on the world, I think anytime is a good time to, to start. And it's not something you can learn f without just jumping into the, into the water. I often say we, we're always, as a startup, we're tying our shoelaces as we're running. And I don't think there's an alternative to it. You cannot learn and start a startup with, uh, from the sidelines. You have to jump in and do the work. And, and we do mistakes and we fail. Uh, terribly at the time, but standing back up again and really focusing on our mission is what, what keeps us running and what gives us the, the energy we need to continue going. And I think, I mean, this is cliche, but I mean, many cliches are true and this is why there are cliches, but just jump into it and start doing it. And if you're interested in 
getting involved with the alternative protein space. So again, just reach out to local companies in startups are always looking for good talent, for people that are enthusiastic about really changing the world, really bringing good impact. And if you're such a person, so just do it. Don't wait to get your degree. Don't wait to, to start your own startup. Just jump into the water and get there. You know, I haven't heard that before, tying your shoes while running, but it, it's such a good analogy, as crazy as it sounds, but it's so true. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show. What's the best way for us to learn more about Bravel? So you can look at our website. It's a Bravel, B-R-E-V-L dot C-O dot I-L. It's the Israeli domain. Or you can look me up on LinkedIn, reach out. I'll be happy to chat. It's Jonathan Golan. I'm very accessible on LinkedIn. Um, you can follow our LinkedIn page which is very active these days, or not necessarily Brevet. I mean, there are all of these other amazing companies out there doing fantastic stuff, doing really dreamlike stuff. And I mean, I'd be happy to speak with anyone on Brevet, but I mean, really get, get involved in this thing that is happening and is only growing. This is not a trend. I mean, this is a real change that is happening and is here to, to last. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Thank you very much, Alex. It was a real pleasure. This is your host, Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. This program was produced by H Media. See you soon.